Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Vay Casey. It's a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experiences of freelancers. And today on the show, we've got my friend Aaron Garcia, who I've known for probably seven years at this point. Seven years? It's been quite a while. And uh, I was thinking back the other day on how we know each other. And it took me a minute to kind of trace it back because I feel like we've run into each other in so many different circles. And it's like, when I see you, I recognize you. And I'm like, I know this guy, but it's more, I I feel like we're on right on that line of like friend and acquaintance. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, we've never really, this is the first time that we've ever like hung out intentionally done something together. Yeah. I think so. Outside of like, Oh, we're both at the same party together. or We're both at the same art show. And it's kind of funny when I was thinking back, like, how do I know him? Cause I'm like, okay, was it coffee? Was it coworking? Was it? And it's like, no, it was, it was working on a project with a friend, but, then it led to all the other things. I don't know what I mean. It's interesting. Uh, well, thanks for coming on today. Yeah. Um, I would love it if you would kind of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of just, I know you do some freelancing and you teach a little bit. Um, what's kind of led up to that point? Uh, a lot of mistakes have led me to where I am, I think. Um, but right now, uh, I consider myself an illustrator and designer. Um primarily using a lot of my hand drawing for most of my design work. Um, right now I do a lot of freelance work for kind of small, small to medium businesses and companies, anything from like restaurants to like, I don't know, uh, outdoor store or something like that. Um, a lot of local people here in Oak Cliff and Dallas, uh, mainly, but, um, I've been doing it for a while uh, actually when I ran into you the other day and you asked me like, Hey, you've been freelancing for a while now. And I try to think of the number. I was like, Oh my God. Like I've technically have been doing it for maybe seven or eight years. I think it doesn't feel like that. Um, cause it's only been now recently, like maybe the year, year or two that I've attempted to take it seriously and take myself seriously as a designer. Um, and that has kind of progressed into a few other uh just actions i'm trying to take to further like explore and really dive into that world and that part of me so is it was design something that you have always been interested in or no actually uh i studied in school i studied animation um my dream was to go be a character animator for pixar um that was gonna be it for me but as I was in college, I started taking on just small little projects like gig posters, album artwork for friends. Uh, I was in coffee shops. I was working in coffee shops a lot. So like I was meeting all these different people that were like doing house shows and open mics and all this type of stuff. And no one had an artist. So I was, I just started doing their posters. And as I was learning like Photoshop and all that type of stuff and 3D programs and all that type of stuff. Um, so that kind of slowly led to actually having to teach myself design because animators, I don't know if you've ever seen an animator's website or their business card. They're not designers. They're not good at like 2D design on a piece of paper or on a mm-hmm, screen. Mm-hmm. They're great at narrative, storytelling, movement, all that type of stuff, camera placement and all sorts of, they're really great at all sorts of things. But I started getting 
good at just actual design. And so I started exploring that and teaching myself and getting better and better and using, because I was always a decent drawer and I got better at school, in school. And then that just developed and I started using that for my design work because I'd noticed not everyone was really using their drawing skills. So I started taking my drawing skills and using it in my design work, which led to some unique stuff, but stuff I probably wouldn't show anybody anymore. Yeah. Ever. I feel like we all probably kind of have some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. What a, so you mentioned that you were drawing, you used to draw when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So how far back does this kind of, I guess, creative itch go or, or, or. Oh like- man. As far back as I can remember, I think, um, we were homeschooled as a kid. So my mom would, my mom was always the creative one, like visually creative. So she would give us these assignments like, like we, so we lived on a campground and our backyard was like this Creek. So we had all these birds and all sorts of things behind there. So she would give us assignments, like go outside, wait for a blue Jay to come and draw the blue Jay. And so I would, I had like all these bird drawings, of Cardinals and all sorts of things. Um, so I think they're kind of established a sense of you go out into the world to find your reference and you draw from you draw from reference, you know. Um, I think that's kind of where some of it started. And then just random stuff. I, me and my brother would doodle all the time in church on the bulletins. Uh, we'd open up the offering envelopes and for bigger paper space. Yep. <laughs> and we'd draw on those. And I remember distinctly me and him would, we would see how many logos each of us could duplicate or, or draw. And so we'd just think of random logos and try to imitate them. And, and then we'd pass it back and forth. That's interesting. Just random stuff like that, um, that developed. Um, and then in high school, so in middle school, I was the kid that drew. I was an artist. Um, and at a certain point, I developed a sheet of paper with essentially a item, itemized list of tattoos you can get. And I'll give you them like with a Sharpie. So I was giving kids tattoos with a Sharpie, like on their body for like a quarter. Or like, you know, depending on how big you want it, uh, it's 10 cents. Or you want a real big one, that's like 75 cents. And I would just like carry around a Sharpie and like do these quick little tattoos. And I mean, I guess it's something to take, you know, a couple of minutes or something like that very long. Yeah. Like, well, to them, I was blowing their mind. Like I was right, doing all this right. crazy tribal stuff. Okay. So I, I just thinking about that right now, it's just really funny how <laughs> I was already doing tribal, like in middle school. Um that was really funny. And then high school, I just kept going, kept drawing, got into comic books a bit more and started drawing like more detailed stuff. Um, but it wasn't until college uh, that I realized like, there's really nothing for me but art. I didn't know what that would mean. I didn't know where that would lead. But I knew that I wasn't going to go study business. I wasn't going to study music. I wasn't going to study Bible or something like that. Like I was like, I'm an art major. I already knew that from high school. I was like, there's nothing else for me. Like, I, I don't want to do anything else. So that kind of developed. And I got, you know, obviously I got better and better. So so then when so you decided that kind of, you know, you mentioned in high school that you already knew. What, uh, after high school, then what did you do school-wise? Like what, was, what was your move? Uh, so I went to DBU, Dallas Baptist University, um, mainly because my brother and sister were there. It just kind of made sense. Didn't really think about it. Um, 
my mom was working there too, so I was able to get free tuition, which was great because DBU is stupid expensive. Oh my gosh. That's it's one so of the main dumb. reasons I dropped out. Dude. Yeah. I went there for a couple of years. It's ridiculous. And from what I understand, it keeps getting more and more. Yeah. Um, so I go there as an art major and I kind of goofed around. I, I took it somewhat seriously, but uh, I didn't really feel like I was learning anything. At that time, the art program was not very well developed. Uh, and then this guy, um, I think is, if I remember correctly, his name was Jim Hutchinson. He came in, he was able to kind of turn around and actually give some real instruction. Um, cause before it was just kind of like, I don't know, it was just blah. It was nothing. Yeah. Said, yeah not really anything special. Nothing special, nothing traditional or classical, classically trained or any sort of technique. It's just like, Oh, let's make art. I'm like, okay. Oh my God. Okay. So, so not really like much of a structure no. or kind of direction on it. No. Okay. So he came in, I learned a bit from him, but at that point I had already decided, I, I was two years in there. Um, at that point though, I decided to pursue animation again. In high school, at a public school I was at for like a year, I took a 3D animation class and I like fell in love with it. I thought it was so cool. Um, and so then I wanted to like revisit that and come back to it because I, I found it super fascinating. Um, so I found a program at the Art Institute of Dallas, um, transferred myself there. If I had known how much it was going to cost me later, I might've made a different choice, but I wasn't thinking about that. I, you know, no one really <laughs> thinks about that till much later. Yeah. Um, so I transferred there and enrolled in the animation program, uh, media arts and animation to be specific, but, um, and I really developed quite a lot there. I'm I'm thankful for it, but I'm also critical of it. Obviously, I don't think you can get out of any bachelor's program and not be critical about it. But you well, critical. You, you you say critical of it, like critical how? Because no, before we before we started recording, when you were talking about that, you listened to the interview that I had with Nicolette that we did I did a couple of years ago, and she went to Art Institute and talked about some of kind of her. Uh, beef with mm -hmm. the program. There's different things there. Yeah. And so it's interesting to have another person come through and kind of say, eh, what was, what was your experience? Yeah. So I'm thankful for it, but I'm also, like I said, like there's things I would love to have done differently. Um, I think that, so what they do, at least what they did for me is, and I think she said the same thing is they give you kind of the whole gamut of like what could possibly happen in your life. Like, I studied 3D modeling, um, texture painting, compositing, animation, um, some 3D cinematography, um, storyboarding, pretty much everything that could ever possibly happen if you were to go into the animation field, which I get that. But at a certain point, you should be concentrating on a specific route. And I wanted to do character animation, but for the last, like, year or so maybe more um they kept pushing me towards like being super well-rounded to a point where my animation really wasn't that great like by the, the closer i got to graduating i was like oh i'm not actually at a competitive uh edge to go into animation like essentially start submitting my stuff to big studios like i, I started looking at other people's portfolios. I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I haven't been prepared, but at the same time, 
I feel like I wouldn't be where I'm at now if I hadn't gone to the Art Institute. Um, I learned a lot of really good skills. Um, I learned a lot of programs. I learned how to teach myself, which is extremely valuable. Um, I learned how to work quickly. Um, I just learned a lot of detail-oriented things. Because animation is so detail-oriented, I learned a lot about that uh, and developed those skills that translated later. So in one sense, I grew quite a bit. Um, and in some regard, I'm kind of glad I'm not in it, in the animation industry. Uh, but I, I kind of wish I had been guided a bit differently, um, for essentially for the price that I was paying. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what would you do differently? You think maybe you just, I mean, cause you mentioned that it's kind of, that it's good that it's so broad, but at some point kind of, it would be good to focus in a little bit. Yeah, you think sure. you feel like maybe just like the first year or two, keep it broad and then kind of like start to tailor in after that point or what yeah. would you do? I think so. Um, something like that, because, uh, at a certain point, like, I don't care about, um, if I'm going to be a character animator, I don't really care about lighting. I don't really care about if that brick over there in the corner has texture. I don't really, I don't want to spend my time doing that if I'm trying to be a character animator. Right. You know? Um, and then that might lead to the whole argument of should you be a specialist or a generalist, you know, and that's uh -huh, a back and forth, uh -huh. I think. And uh, there's a lot of factors to talk about with that. But um, yeah, I was spending a lot of time rendering and modeling and texturing and lighting. And my animation was very weak because uh, I wasn't putting my time into it because I was trying to knock all these other things off. Um, so in the end, I think my portfolio was pretty weak as an animator. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that I would have gone to their graphic design program because I was seeing a lot of the stuff coming out of there. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know about that. I feel pretty good about where I'm at. So, mm -hmm. um, And also kind of some stuff we talked about earlier, like I, I was able to teach myself a lot of design stuff. You know, it might have taken, it took longer, but from what I learned in the animation program, I was able to strive and drive myself further into other fields and to learn how to design um, and how to develop that part of myself. How, you know? how so? You mentioned that, that through your time there at Art Institute that you learned how to teach yourself. What happened with that and what did you kind of unlock? Uh, I basically realized that everything was available to me. I just had to reach out and get it. Um, for a while, actually for a long period of time, I would go down to the library of, of the building. It's not a big library, but they had a pretty significant video archive. Um, so I would rent out, I think the max was like maybe three or five. I can't remember. I would rent out about three or five DVDs of classic movies because they had a whole array of very nuanced classic stuff, you know? Um, and I would just rent out these movies that I knew I should have seen in my life, but I hadn't for some reason. Um, or I, I had read about them in articles and I would just watch all these movies and research them as I worked. Uh, and that gave me some film uh, history lessons right there. And I'd research more and more and more. Anything the professor would um, mention that was interesting to me, I would just write it down. I wrote so many things down to just look up later, like, um, films, both live action, animation films, animation history, uh, artists and filmmakers, um, animators, designers, like anything that was 
thrown in the air. I would just write it down and I would go look at it later, like research it later. Um, and that helped me realize like, oh, okay. If you just listen, these people, these professors, they actually know a lot more than what they're telling you. They're just filtering it to get through the lesson or to accomplish the objective of the day or something like that, you know? Um, but if you just pry a little bit, they're actually like this wealth of knowledge. Most of them are. Um, and so I would just ask these little questions. I ask something about this film and I start writing and writing and writing. And then I'll just look it up later. And it just helped me realize that um, my education at the Art Institute was my own. And if I didn't take hold of it, then I would be passed by. And I saw a lot of kids just like throwing it away. Um, a lot of them, the ones who were complaining most were the ones who were doing the least amount of work and they were not meeting the, the professor halfway. Like, um, I just remember these kids who stayed much longer in the program because they, they were the victim of the professor or of the assignment or of the computer or of the program crashed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, bro, you just didn't do the work. Like, come on, just, just go, just do something do it, else. Yeah. Find a way to make it happen. Either find a way to make it happen or go do something else. Like I feel like with design world as well, uh, especially also the animation, like you're either going to make it happen. You're going to find a way to do it or you should just go find something else to do mm -hmm. and stop complaining, like filling the air with complaints and, negativity and stuff like that. Yeah, because it doesn't really do any good. No. I, I don't find that it really, that, that, I, that I can think of, for the most part, it doesn't. And I kind of feel like I've seen this trend in the last, I don't know, like 10 years or so, kind of, at, and a lot of it honestly has come with the, uh, the rise of social media stuff, where people don't seem to want to put the work in as much, or yeah. they think that they're just going to have something given to them, right. or... I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get out and I'm going to be able to do whatever the thing is. Yeah. And it's like, look, man, you're not going to be able to play the piano if you don't do the scales. Yeah. You may not enjoy it, but if you want to be able to play the music, that's really great and to be really great at it. You got to sit and put hours in pl playing the scales. Or if you want to be a badass artist, you got to put the time in putting the pencil on paper and doing the shitty lines. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, social media obviously is a big part of that. So what I think is going on with kind of young designers and just young people with social media, I think is that they are getting the language to talk about things that they don't understand what they're talking about, like, or even with images as well. Um, I see this a lot in my classroom where kids are saying things like, um, what is it? God, I can't remember, but a lot of language of like psychology and like design work or any sort of thing, they're copying it, but they don't understand what the substance is. They don't give it substance. Um, and so when you have access to everything, you don't really know how to assign anything a meaning. Um, there's no diving deep into something. It's all fairly surface level as you know, as much as you're willing to dive into it, you know, 
Right. So like, for example, maybe I'm trying to think of, I'm just trying to think of like a potential example would be, uh, I mean, may, maybe a designer uses some certain elements in their designs that are like thematic themes that show out through all. And somebody is like, oh, this is a cool little texture. I'm going to copy and do something like this. Whereas that designer did that because there's a nod to a certain thing or there's a deeper meaning of like whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. For that specific project. Yeah. 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 It was the answer you found for that uh, problem. And as a young designer, you don't get that yet. You don't quite understand that. And so you think that's the answer for everything. Um, or you might even, uh, in photography, gels are really popular right now. Like everyone's doing these. It's like multicolor. Yeah, the kinda, multicolor yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, it's a cool look, but again, it's the solution to one problem. And young designers, young photographers, young people, they, there's no filter of that. It's just like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do it now. Um, it's just a quick, I see it. I like it. I'm going to do it. And to a certain extent, that's kind of good because it gets them moving. But another extent, it's like, well, eventually you need to start using your brain a little bit and knowing why. There's a big gap of, tell me why you did that. There's a huge gap there where not a lot, you might even run into a lot of adults who can't really explain why. Um, They just thought it was cool. And to a certain extent, yeah, I get it. Like making pretty pictures is a good thing. Like people want to see aesthetically pleasing things. But I think the next level up is you're doing it with purpose, uh, with discretion, and you have reasons and you can explain why yeah, yeah, you yeah. do a certain thing. Yeah, you know? it's like, like I started noticing some of that stuff with my photography at some point where I'm like, man, I really am finding that I like images that have some like blurred foreground elements a little bit. Mm. And... I mean, what it feels like to me, what you're talking about, it would be the difference would be like me going, oh, I've seen other photos that have foreground elements and it looks cool. So I'm going to shoot that instead of getting to the point where I'm going, why do I like this? Yeah. What is it about that? And then I go, oh, well, because it helps me see more depth and it helps like create mm. depth to it. So then you can take that and like apply it to other things. Right. Not everything, but. Right. But you're things, able yeah. to like take those building blocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an interesting landscape with the social media stuff. Yeah. And, and even right now, like, uh, one of the bigger trends right now is carousels using carousels to tell some sort of story, mm-hmm. some sort of teaching element, whatever. Um, and it's cool. I think it works pretty well. I mean, it's proven to work and gain followers and gain, uh, viewer engagement and stuff like that. Um, but if you're going to do that, make it yours, make it your voice, use the tool, but make your own message your own voice with it i i can't tell you how many things uh on instagram i've seen of like uh you know eight mistakes freelancers make all the time uh uh six design tools to help you be a great designer like what like i'm gonna learn how to be a great designer from a carousel on instagram like just right now and the things they're putting in there are actually very deep things as far as like the knowledge you need to accomplish that one little step that you can't just skim over that stuff. Yeah. 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 It's not that the, it's not that the information that they're providing is invalid. Right. It's that people it it's the presentation is making it very, uh, I don't know. Um, 
just like, oh, okay, just design the logo. Oh, that's step three. Okay, got it. Got step three down. Like, yeah, design what? It's taken me like, you know, years to get down logo design. And I don't even think I'm that great right now. Um, you can't just put that as step three and then call it a day for branding 101 <laughs> on Instagram. Like, so it's just stuff like that. that it makes things a little light when, you know, that's the stuff that takes the dedication and it takes the years of practice. It takes the shitty lines on the paper to like nail down. Yeah. Like, you know, that stuff does seem to like kind of flesh itself out though, because then you see the, the innovators and the people that are actually learning the stuff and are diving deep are the ones that are ultimately, I guess, more or less making a better name for themselves mm -hmm. or, uh, doing better overall. They're more successful or they mm -hmm. make better money because they're not left to imitating. Right. Right. And it's yeah. not like, Oh, well, you know, you do the same thing. Everybody else does. Great. Right. Yeah. Uh, or you're about to say something? Well, I had a friend of mine uh, a while ago who's a designer. I, I highly respect him and the work that he does. Um, this is a long time ago. He, he told me about how there's like two types of designers, essentially. I'm sure there's more, but, you know, it's a pithy way to put it. But um, one designer is the one who's always going to be pushing the boundaries, is always going to be trying something new, going into the dark and like inventing and reinventing and just pushing the cusp of what it could be. And it might not always be accepted or liked or whatever, but he's moving forward into the future. Another designer is someone who essentially does the same thing, but perfects it and gets it down. They're both valuable types of designers. It's just, which one are you, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, uh, I think develops a mastery of it. And so you can, you know, you have that down constantly. Um, but at the same time, someone who's constantly pushing, they might be a little edgy, but they're, they're coming to new realizations and new inventions within the field. So to me, honestly, if I, if I'm just being straight up, like, I think I'm more along the lines of trying to get mastery of one thing, you know, or a couple of things. Yeah. I don't, if you look at my stuff, I'm not pushing the boundaries of anything, you know, uh, maybe in my content, but not definitely not my visual I mean, to yeah. me, when I see your stuff, it's very, it's very consistent mm -hmm. and I guess you could say predictable, but it doesn't seem like that you're trying to copy anybody else. Right. Which is the goal. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you're definitely doing your thing yeah. and staying true to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, some people are more true to consistency and more, some people more true to that, like yeah. pioneering the front lines. Right. And it's hard. It's hard to stay consistent. There's times where people tell me like, um, oh, I saw that. I knew it was yours. I'm like, how do you know? Or they say, they take a picture of something like, did you do this logo? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't. And like, oh, it looks like something you do. So like in a certain way, it's almost like a little jab, like other people are doing the same style and I get it. Like my style isn't, you know, cutting edge, but at the same time, I do believe that when you see some of my work, you know, it's a part of me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's my goal. Yeah. So after you, uh, after you got done doing stuff at Art Institute, mm -hmm. what kind of, let's pick up there. What was your, like, what's the story after that stuff? Oh man. Cause you, like we were talking at the party, a few, this party we met at, a, uh, like linked back up at a few weeks ago and 
you uh, mentioned that you were a school teacher. Yeah. And you've mentioned that a couple of times here. Um, where does that come into play with everything? Dude, it's been, it's been interesting, right? Um, after the Art Institute, uh, I was still working in coffee um, here in Oak Cliff. And actually through that, I met a lot of people and built a lot of relationships that led to work in the future, um, like freelance work. So I was in coffee for a while, bounced around a couple shops. Um, and I just got, I was just so tired of it. You know, coffee's great. I love coffee. I love making coffee, but I was in it for like eight years. And I'm like, okay, I need, something's got to change. So classic move. I had a couple clients who were, I thought, committed to some projects. I was like, that's perfect. That's enough money to sustain me for the next couple of months. It was pretty good projects. And so I was like, you know what? I'm out with coffee. I'm going to quit and pursue freelance. This was like when I was maybe 24, 25, somewhere around there. Okay. How are you now? 31. Okay. Um, so I quit coffee, did not plan well, did not have savings, and I just fell flat on my face. I went on a road trip to the Grand Canyon and which is actually one of my tattoos. Um, and when I got back from the road trip, my clients had either ghosted me or told me the project was fell through and they can't continue the project. So I had nothing lined up, absolutely nothing. And I went through all my money in like a month or so. And I had some awesome, I still have some awesome friends that helped me out and helped me get through July. In July, I had another friend tell me about an art position at a high school. I'm like, you know what? I need money. I need to survive right now and I'm not getting any new work. So I applied, I got hired and I continued working there up until now. This is my fifth year with the high school. Um, but throughout that time, what's funny is that as soon as I got the teaching job, work started coming in, of course, you know? So since I started teaching, I've had pretty consistent projects throughout the school year um, that I've constantly been. So I've been working in the day, working at night, working on the weekends, just. Golly, man. It's gotta be so much. Like, I, yeah. I feel like teachers don't get enough credit for the amount of work they've put in. Because there's so much that I've seen outside the classroom that is that is done like outside the classroom as well, yeah. right? And like, oh, it's incredible, yeah. I just I commend and applaud teachers because on one level I enjoy tough. I would enjoy it, but gosh, so much. <laughs> yeah, when when people say they enjoy it, I'm like, well, or they say like, oh, but you got your summers. I'm like, well, yeah. you haven't been doing this very long, have you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've never taught before, have you? Um, it's, it was very intense. The first couple years, I was just essentially learning how to teach and I was having to go through their certification program. Um, so it was a lot. I felt like I was going back to school to get my, you know, alternate certification. I was taking on freelance jobs on the side and dealing with dumb kids during the day who don't always do what you say. And they cause you to grow gray hairs. I grew two gray hairs here, right in the front, <laughs> the year I taught freshmen all year. They literally gave me gray hairs. <laughs> it was nuts. 
Well, welcome to the club. Do yeah. you still have them? Are they? Oh yeah, they're still there. They still, yeah. There's, Dude, I've had them like gray on the sides of mine since I was like 15 or 16. And it's the last couple of years, especially. Yeah. It's been coming. But I, I really remember like, I think because of the stress that the freshmen were putting me through, I randomly popped up gray hairs. Well, that's wild. When man. I was like 26, 27, you know? What a, so with the freelance stuff that you've been doing, uh, how are you getting that work? Uh, it's all a relationship, really. Um, I've done very little to advertise myself, I guess you can say. Um, and honestly, like the time I spent in coffee led to a lot of work. And those relationships led to other work. So like friends of a friend of a friend type of stuff. Um, every now and then I would get a random, random person be like, hey, I saw your stuff. I'm interested in something. But usually, most of the time, it's always relationship, um, which is why I'm thankful for my time in coffee because I just, one, it got me out of my like introverted shell and I had, I was forcing myself to interact with people. Um, and two, it led to like me being comfortable talking about my work because um, eventually, you know, you get to know regulars and you start telling them what you do, what you're studying, all that type of stuff. Um, and that led to a lot of work. And right now the work I've been getting is either like referral or a friend or a friend, or it's been like recurring clients that continue to get work for me. So <coughs> that's been good so far. Um, I am looking to, uh, not teach anymore after this year. I'm looking to see what's next. You're kind of catching me on the cusp of a lot of scary choices of moving into full time. Cause I still, ever since I like fell on my face at one time, I have not gone freelance full time at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're kind of talking to me now where I'm like making big choices in my life about that. Um, I'm starting to make little moves here and there. I'm about to relaunch my website, um, this week, I hope. Um, with fresh work, more work and talking and images that more so are me. Like before I just had pretty pictures. Like if you saw my website before you pretty much can assess like, oh, this guy draws pretty well. A lot of people draw well. Right. So what I'm hoping my website now will show is this guy has a personality. He has an aesthetic. He has a certain touch, a certain way that he thinks um, and uh, tackles an assignment or a project. Um, so I'm hoping it is more transparent of who I am as a designer and a person. Um, so, but we'll see. I don't know. What's a, whenever you have people that come to you and approach you uh, about projects, uh, what is your process as far as walking through I don't know. Some people call it onboarding or yeah. project discovery or like what's <laughs> like, how do you go from, Hey, what does it cost for a logo <laughs> right. to thanks for your business? Right. Uh, I don't have as strict of an, of an outline, <clears throat> but my go-to next step is when I get that email or whatever, or I get that text is cool. Let's meet up. If that's possible, I always want to meet face to face. Um, you just, you learn so much from interacting with someone face to face across the table, 
over coffee. Um, because in that moment, when I'm in person with someone, I can dive deeper into what they actually need. Because a lot of times, um, and you might experience this with your video work, um, you say you want a logo, but you really kind of want a whole brand. Mm -hmm. And I can't really assess that yet until we like talk it out. Um, and so I'll start prodding, asking specific questions, uh, who you're trying to reach, um, what are your, what is your plan for this in the future? Like, are you hoping this grows? Is this just like a one-off stuff like that? That helps me essentially design for the future. Um, that way the, as the company of that person grows, the branding can grow with them without having to like, you know, the worst thing is like two or three years from now, that same person reaches out to someone else for a new logo. Right. You don't want that. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I try to assess what is the most sustainable design I can, I can get this person. Um, but the only way I can understand how to do that is if I know where they want to go with it. So then what kind of, like, what kinds of questions will you ask to be able to get to that? Uh, I think a lot of it is kind of intuitive, but sometimes I start with like, um, you know, tell me about the vision of this, um, of this project. Uh, are you, who's your target audience? Who are you trying to reach? Where are you going to be? Is this like a storefront? Is it just web? Um, are you, uh, trying to, is this going to branch out into other companies? Like let's say you're a, uh, a store, like a retail store. Do you want to open other branches off of that? Or is this going to stand alone? Do you want shirt designs? Do you want sticker designs? Like what kind of collateral do you want? Um, but that, that kind of comes a little later once I figure out like, you know, what is the personality of the store? When people walk in, uh, how do you want them to feel? What are some emotions that are associated, that you want associated with your brand? Um, but one of the first things I try to figure out is like, you know, what's the story? Tell me the story of how you got here. Oftentimes what the, the client's story leads me to something pretty significant and purposeful in my design work. Um, Cause I think people want their clients to know, like, this is the backstory of this company and this is why we're here, you know? Um, so usually I start with the story and, and as people tell me the story, I kind of prod a little bit uh, within that story. Like uh, I, I ask a lot about emotions. What are, how did you feel when that happened? Um, when you wanted to start this, what are the feelings that you went through? What, what are you trying to accomplish with this? Uh, a lot of stuff like that. I, I, at times it almost feels like a counseling session, um, <laughs> you know, cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause you're really, you're diving deep into something that's very close to me, especially <laughs> if you're talking like small business, um, where someone who's going to open it is like the sole proprietor, you know, um, they have a lot of stake in it. Mm -hmm. So they're wanting t to tell you like, this is where I'm coming from. Like, mm -hmm. this is. I would imagine area. that there's probably with some of those companies, if there's like, especially smaller ones that you're dealing with, you're probably asking them questions that they haven't even thought about. That happens a lot. Yeah. And I find that that's really valuable to, to clients. Yeah. And I, I have been referred a lot 
because of that. Yeah. And whenever I ask my clients, some of my favorites, why did you hire me? It's kind of a lot of times we came, it's, you know, come back, we, you know, you ask questions we hadn't thought about or took stuff into consideration that yeah. wasn't on our mind or, you know, whatever stuff yeah. like that. And I feel like that that's kind of, that seems to be a common thread. Yeah. I feel like with people that start to do that, really do this stuff well and almost it's like almost taking more of a consulting role Yeah. pre design or shooting or right. whatever, which is what I want to be able to offer someone that I find more valuable is like, you know, yeah, I can, I can draw well, I can make pretty things, but if you don't trust me to lead you towards a profitable future and you don't trust my word when I tell you that you should be using this font, not that font, or you should be using this, these words, not that word or um, stuff like that. Like that is more valuable. Like me telling you or consulting and advising you of um, where I think this should go, obviously with your goals in mind, um, I think that's way more valuable than, oh, I can make a logo for you, you know? Yeah, because it, it shows them that you really understand, uh, that you understand where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do and that you'll help them get there Yeah. versus them having to do a lot of that work and figure that stuff out themselves and tell you. Right, because uh, that's why they hired you. Yeah, and that's funny. Uh, we were talking earlier about how you've seen this trend where kids will see stuff they do and then they try to like copy it. Yeah. And I'm imagining people hearing the stuff that we're saying and going and copying it and like going and asking potential clients these questions. Right. Why are you doing this yeah. thing? Where are you trying to use this and all this stuff? And once again, like not knowing like what to do with it, like just yeah. thinking like, oh, and kind of, I'm going to say we is like for, for people that do this more consistently, I think it's a pretty safe general assumption that we, we're taking this stuff into consideration to inform the decisions that we make. So for, for, exactly. for example, if I have somebody come to me and say, Hey, I want a video. <clears throat> I might ask them, okay, well, where are you trying to use it? Are, is it going on your website? Is it going on social media? Is it going on Instagram? Is it going on YouTube? And I ask this stuff because that will kind of inform how we're going to make the pieces. So, well, right. if it's going on Instagram, if it's going on Instagram story, those are 15 seconds you know, and so maybe it would be better to do a bunch of like 30, 15 second segments to yeah. tell this story instead of one, two and a half minute video. That way right. you're not blasting an Instagram story with a two and a half minute video. And constructing it to the attention span of an Instagram user. Right. Because it's not on TV. It's not right. YouTube. So yeah, you have to consider all that stuff. Um, well, exactly what you're saying. Like anyone can take any of the questions I ask or other designers ask. Um, I've even seen downloadable like PDFs from, uh, design firms that essentially just show you like what they go through with the client and all that's good. But to an inexperienced designer or really an inexperienced person asking those questions, isn't going to lead to a informed result. So I think the uniqueness that I can bring is I take the information and I utilize it as best as I can. Um, there, there have been times where I've ignored the information that I gathered 
And then I come to a final result and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I completely forgot about this one thing that they mentioned that's super key. Cause I just turned off my brain and I yeah. just started making pretty things. <coughs> and I was like, oh, they're going to love this. And I'm like, dude, this is not even close <laughs> to what they said. And that's tough. That's, that's experience telling you like, don't send this. It's not right. Or, or it's not considering what they said and what they wanted. So I think with the experience, it's not just about listening, but it's also about turning that around and making it usable and infusing that into the, the imagery and the wording and the colors and the layout and the composition, everything. That's difficult. Yeah. And I would even say if, if you're, if you're someone that knows these things to ask or to do, but you don't understand why, like kill the ego and ask, right? Like talk to friends that are, you know, other creatives that do this stuff that have been doing this for a while and find out, Hey, whenever, whenever you're quoting a price on a project, why do you ask where it's going to be used? Or mm-hmm. why do you ask how many copies of that magazine are going to be printed yeah. or, or like whatever. Cause there's always a reason why. Right. And you're only going to be hurting yourself. I feel like if you don't ask the questions of why, um, and sometimes I feel like there's this thing where people feel like they have to have all the answers right. that they have to know. Let me make myself look like I know everything and don't, you know, don't let the client know that I'm yeah. not like the best. And yeah. I'm like, no dude, like if anything, being honest about your shortcomings is only going to make you look better in somebody's mind, not worse because it shows that, Hey, this person's honest and (laughs) they're not going to be trying to pull the wool over my eyes. I can trust them. Right. Because if he's, he or she's saying, Hey, I don't know how to do this thing or I don't understand this. Yeah. Then they're going to come And I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very honest and vulnerable position to be in. And I mean, even with over the years with clients that have, like if I'm behind on a project or if I mess up on something, like I want to be the first one to be like, Hey, I messed up on this thing. I, it's yeah. out of, it's out of focus. We're going to need to reshoot this thing right. instead of being like, Oh, I really hope that they don't notice it's out of focus. <laughs> and then yeah. being like, Hey, this, so this looks, this is out of focus. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, And it puts you in an awkward position mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. And that's something I'm, uh, I had to learn the hard way, I think. And in some regard, I'm still learning. Um, Teaching kids has really taught me a certain level of humbleness because uh, I just started to realize, like, if you just admit that you're not perfect and you just, like, apologize for a couple things here and there, like, they will follow you down whatever. Um, I'll mess up on deadlines I've set. I'll mess up on, like, what I said over here but then didn't enforce over here. I mess up all the time in my classroom, but trying to make yourself look like, oh, that's what I said all along, or, you know, look like this perfect, uh, infallible person, like it will really go against you. Yeah. It'll, it'll harm you in the long run. Yeah. Cause then you, you lose that trust and there's no like, um, there's no sense of humanity there. So I definitely do that with my clients, um, about like, uh, just like admitting the mistake, admitting it's not quite there, admitting um, where I messed up. or and But also you have to make sure, admitting that this is where I messed up, but also this is how I'm going to follow up and this is how I'm going to correct, you know? Um, I think the easy way out is, sorry, man, I kind of messed up. 
Oh, sorry. I guess it. that's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got your deposit. See Like, ya. let's finish this out. Right. Um, so that I think is the next step of like, I want to make sure this is right. I want to make sure they still trust me to finish the project. Um, it's, it's hard. You have to swallow your pride. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So whenever you're getting through projects or, or like getting kind of, I guess, past that, that phase, like you've gotten in, you've kind of got an understanding of what the project is and what they're actually needing. Then when it comes to like pricing or, or giving a proposal, how do you do that stuff? Man, that stuff is, I'm still, <laughs> you know, I'm still, oh, I know, dude. <laughs> yeah, I get it. And I knew you were going to ask this. But I was like, dang it. I'm not answer. Um, so I've recently kind of, you know, kind of like you're saying, asking other people who have been doing it longer, how they do it. Um, you know, I had a friend tell me to, that he has like a, essentially like a small, medium, large package, you know? And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, so I kind of wrote out for branding specifically, I wrote out um, kind of a minimal, uh, a medium size and like a full out branding package um, with their, you know, individual pricing. So, you know, if the budget's super small, they're usually going to go with the small package. Um, if they got kind of a medium budget, they'll go for the medium. Uh, and sometimes they'll kind of like kind of pick and choose a couple of things like, well, I don't need that many illustrations, but I'd like to have this. I'm like, okay, we can switch that out. Um, I'm always willing to negotiate stuff like that, you know? Um, so that is something I'm still trying to get myself to be strict with about this is the price and the package that I'm offering. And I can't really budge from that. You know, there is a point, there was a point like a, several years ago where I raised my minimum price. Um, where if a project was under a certain dollar amount, I just wouldn't take it just because the time I couldn't sacrifice the time for such a small budget or, you know, stuff like that. Um, so for me, what I'll do is I'll do the consultation. So hopefully we can meet face to face. Um, from that, I'll kind of assess through the conversation, I'll assess what exactly they want and I kind of itemize it. Um, and I usually go back home and we like separate and I come to the price that I think is fair. And then I'll e email them like a quote um, or something to that effect. Uh, I usually don't, now that I think of it, I don't think I ever come up with a price just on the spot. I think that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, okay, so you want a logo, you want a couple of lockups, you want colors, fonts, a couple of illustrations for Instagram. Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's call it 1800. And like, what, how, how did you come up to that? And like, Oh, I don't know. Just, that sounds, sounds about right. You know, I don't want to be in that situation. Um, so I do go home. I really think about it. I think about some of the other projects that I've done that are similar. I think about, um, where I want to end up as a designer. Cause I can't be charging, you know, 500 bucks for full branding. That's, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So I try to think about where do I want to end up? How do I value my work? Um, am I bringing them value and how do I reflect that in the price that I'm, uh, offering them? So. So then when it comes down to actually putting a number on things, 
Yeah. And like, how do you, how do you decide? Let's say that it was, I mean, you say you've got three packages and it's 1800 and five grand and 18 grand. Mm. How do you decide what those numbers need to be? And then you also mentioned something kind of about, it almost sounds like maybe you have stuff somewhat itemized. Mm at least a little bit worried this now you stuff can be like pulled out or added in and price like adjusted yeah. accordingly. How do you kind of line that stuff out too? Uh, I think about the, the amount of pre-work that usually goes into it. So um, I usually have a whole period of time of just research and, you know, kind of roughing things out. I also think about, do I need to pull anyone else into this project? Um, how much are they? to do, you know, like if I need a, um, a copy editor, do I need a web designer? Do I need a photographer? Do I need to pull anyone else in and how much are they going to be for this? And, uh, after that, I think about what are all the deliverables that they need? Um, what are the complications of those deliverables? Like, do I need to contact, um, any other like outside retailers and get a product from them or, Anything like that, anything extra that is um, going to essentially be a cost, you know, um, because I think, you know, that's what they're paying for. They, they want the full identity. They want the full brand. Um, and I'm not going to go negative in buying this client, I don't know, like pens with their logo on it. Like that's going to be in the, in the bill. Like they're paying for that. Right. Um, so I think about the deliverables, um, their timeline. There's been times where someone needs something by yesterday, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to have to drop some stuff to crank out your project. And so I upcharge a little bit from that. Um, or, or stuff like that. Like if, um, timeline, uh, maybe different iterations, you know, if, you know, you allot two or three corrections or whatever, um, and then inform like, you know, the fourth and fifth are going to cost this much, that much. Uh, so I don't know. And, and that's, this is all something I'm just kind of trying to implement and figure out. So it's kind of like what we're talking about. Like I have the knowledge, I have the theory, I've done a lot of research. Now I need to implement, I need to do it. And that has been a little difficult for me to do it, especially as I, you know, I'm, I work alone. Yeah. For the most part. It is, it, it's really tough. It, yeah. it can be, it can be for sure. I mean, yeah. it's one of those, like, I've been doing this for so long and still sometimes I have a hard time like, oh, you know, what should I charge? It's too yeah. much. This is not enough. And Right. Uh, what about with, uh, oh, on that too, do you, so then do you like line out different like whenever you pr give somebody a proposal, mm. does it have like line itemed out? Like this costs this much, this thing costs this much, the pens cost this much, uh, the I don't design costs do this that. much, or is it just, it's this price for the whole thing? I usually do something more like that. Um, I think it's, you run into some difficulties when you do stuff like that, when you itemize it. I will list out where you're getting, but I won't put like logo, $300. Secondary icon, 150 You know, like, I, I think when you're presenting packages, you probably want an overall price. Um, 
And again, this is just kind of my experience so far. Other people might see things very differently, but um, there's been times where I'll do a full package and, you know, the project's done and then they come back later and like, well, we need like a flyer. We need a something or other, just a one-off thing. Um, and that's where, you know, the one-off thing costs this much or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I think it's difficult. I'm still learning. Um, I'm not, I don't know if other people do itemized listing of design assets of like, you know, this costs this, this costs that. But for now, I'm, I'm kind of doing the whole, like this whole package costs. Mm -hmm. Seems to work well for you that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of interesting to me because I, I, I don't think there is necessarily a right way or a wrong way. Yeah. I don't just kind of like, I mean, it definitely, it just seems to be different to each individual person sometimes. Yeah. And I think it depends. Like, you know, do, are you a part of a studio? Do you have other people that you're paying? Um, are you doing at home in your bathroom or something? I don't know. Like yeah. there's so many different situations. I think, I think there's, there is a professional way of going about it, but I think people are finding different answers for themselves, whatever works for them. Mm -hmm. um, the hard part is realizing when it's not working and how to change it. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, contracts? Do you do those? Oh, man. I'm the worst <laughs> with contracts. Uh this is one of my bigger downfalls, um, among many others. Uh, I am really bad with contracts. Um, the other, the difficult part is that a lot of my clients have been uh, either acquaintances or friends. So I'm like, well, the, we're going to do the project. No difficulties will come about. And then difficulties come about. I'm like, God dang, I should have done a contract. Um, stuff like that, that I, there's times where I regret, like, man, I should have had this written out so that we both understand what's expected, you know? Um, I think we've, you've talked about that quite a lot in your other podcasts of like, it really, it's not like a, I'm going to hold this over you. It's more like, let's just all understand what's expected from everyone. And the times that I have done the contract, it's worked pretty well. Um, but then there's times I've done a contract and we sign it and then, no one ever brings it up ever again, you know, either it's not needed or people just forget, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man, I, I think I would need, I would need someone else to begin to take the reins of that, like a project manager. Um, cause I'm really bad with that stuff. So whenever you, I mean, like what percentage of the time do you think that you use contracts on projects? Uh, in the past years, maybe, I don't know, five to ten percent. Okay, maybe it's a very small percentage. Very, very small, percent. small percentage. Yeah, I think as I'm moving forward and trying to really do this well, um, that is going to definitely be the next step of covering my bases in uh, legal work and contract work and stuff like that. So then, what's your what's your approach to doing that? Because, like you, so you mentioned that you're not great at that. Yeah. And you also mentioned earlier that you taught yourself how to learn. Mm. So do you see yourself learning how to do this stuff and teaching yourself how to do this stuff and doing it yourself? Or do you find yourself 
finding somebody else and hiring someone else to do that and kind of like, like what's your thought process through that? Yeah. So in school, I learned how to teach myself. In life, I've learned how to ask for help. Um, I think that's one of my bigger issues is just like asking for people to help you. Um, so the way I see it is I want to concentrate on the client. I want to work on their project. I want to crank out their work and I want them to be satisfied with it. Um, I don't really care to spend a lot of my time over contracts. I think I can, at the level that I'm working right now, it's totally doable for me to just take it myself, learn how to write a contract, send it out, keep track of it. Um, I think as I grow, um, I'm going to need to ask someone to help me with that. Because uh, at my scale, it doesn't, I'm not quite at a point where I can be hiring a project manager or an attorney or, or anything like that. Um, so I will probably be just teaching myself how to do it, learning how to keep track of it. Um, so to answer your question, a little bit of both. Uh, eventually I will need to hire someone to like take care of that for me. It's more of just kind of a, uh, you're learning it out of uh, more or less kind of a necessity or a means to an end right. until yeah. it can, until things can kind of change and grow. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, uh, keeping track of stuff for taxes or filing or any mm -hmm. of that, have you, how do you handle those things for your freelance stuff? Uh, Freelance stuff has always been difficult to do that. Um, thankfully, I've had a full-time job the past five years that I can like just rely on that for taxes stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, I keep pretty good track of it. I don't throw anything away. I, I keep track of like a lot of my stuff and I have like my whole little folders and stuff like that at home. Um, but... I'm also really bad at that. So, so whenever you file, do you, do you have a CPA or an accountant or an attorney or like any, anybody or yet, do you use no. like TurboTax or something? Right now or I've been you? using TurboTax for okay. a while. Okay. Because it keeps track of all my stuff. Yeah. And then do you file your freelance stuff as a sole proprietor then? Uh, or no, an extra or do right you, now. are you not even just? Not even. Okay. Okay. So don't tell the FBI about this podcast. Shh. Yeah. Don't tell listening in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Obviously, I want to, you know, legitimize everything I'm doing. Uh, right now, I just haven't taken the steps for that. Again, it kind of goes back to, I haven't taken this seriously yet enough. I've done serious work, but I haven't taken the steps to be like, okay, I am a business now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like what, in my mind, what's going to happen next, you know? All the LLC stuff and... Um, separate bank accounts, all that type of stuff. So uh, again, you're kind of catching me at, a, at the cusp of like making these choices. Right. Well, it's inter I like it. It's cool to, because I feel like so many of the different people that come on here are at these different kind of phases. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to kind of find people in those different moments and go, hey, okay, what headspace are you in right now? Like what's mm -hmm. going through your, what, do you, what are your moves? What yep. are you planning on doing? Um, I mean, and I would imagine that some of the people probably take stuff away and go like, Oh man, I hadn't thought about that before. Mm. Not that there's anything special about me, but it's just talking about this kind of stuff with other people helps yeah. you kind of uncover and, and see things differently. I mean, I know that even I take away stuff from these kind of conversations with yeah. people where I go like, Oh man, I hadn't thought about that before, or I should probably 
yeah. tighten up this area of my no, business a little sure. bit. No, for sure. And and even listening to a couple of the podcasts, I'm like, yeah, because um, I know a lot of the people that you interview. I'm like, it's good to hear them talking about where they're at and things are getting down, things are struggling with it, yada yada. Um, and so a lot of these things are things that I I've been thinking about and trying them all over. But at the same time, I've been like trying to balance my projects, trying to show up for work every day, teach kids how to do stuff, come home, do a project, uh, a lot of little things like that, that my time and energy is pretty spent to a point where I'm not sure I have the capacity to think about certain things. Ah, you know? okay. That makes so sense. So I feel really behind sometimes in that kind of world of like, oh, do you have your LLC? Like, no, I haven't done that yet. Do you have a, a lawyer? Do you have an accountant? Like, no, I don't have that yet. Do you do contracts? No, I don't have that. Like, so it's I'm, not that you're, it's not that you're like, no, I'm not going to do this stuff mm-hmm. or like intentionally neglecting us. Like you just have so much stuff going on that there's not enough space or time in the day to get to that stuff. Yeah. Um, I do think that like right now in my life, it's a good time to do this and tackle it. Um, Cause you know, I don't have a family that I'm looking after right now. Like if I'm going to do it, it's going to be now, but there's still a lot going on in my life. All these other things that it's been very difficult for me to like sit down and tackle some uh-huh. of these logistics. Uh-huh. You know, I'm doing good to relaunch my website right now. Um, cause that's taken a while. Um, so, so yeah, like these are things that I know that I've read about, that I've watched, that I've listened to podcasts and they're mulling over my brain, but then my body's like, we should go to sleep now. Like, <laughs> you know, a body, you're right. Let's go to sleep. All right, let's go. Yeah. What, so what's, what do I'm not going to say what's a typical day look like for you, but what are, what do days kind of look like for you sometimes? And how do you, like, what's your, I don't know, do you have any sort of like a routine you go through or anything to be able to get everything done? Uh, yeah, it's kind of varied throughout the years, um, especially in teaching. So I would imagine because you have sometimes when you're in school and sometimes you're out, so it could right. probably change quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, for sure. During the school year, um, I'm up pretty early. Uh, lately I've been in a pretty good routine of going to work out in the morning and then getting to the school around like seven thirty, seven forty-five. So what are you getting up at like four, five, something like that? Uh, about five or five thirty. Okay. Something like that. Um, going through my full day at school, uh, rushing out, getting out of there as quickly as possible. Which is what time? Uh, four twenty okay. or so. Uh, 4.30. Um, when I was first teaching, I was leaving the school like at 7 p.m. Um, just because there's so much to do. Uh, but getting home, walking my dog, stuffing my face with anything that I had in the kitchen, um, turning my brain off for like 30, 45 minutes watching, I don't know, The Office or something. Um, and then from there... It either looks like uh, just doing random chores or something like that, or just opening up a project and getting to work on a project. Um, that can lead me to maybe 10 p.m., 11 p.m. or so, um, and then go to bed. But there's been times in the past year or so where 
because there were so many projects going on at once, um, I would choose a day in the week to pull an all-nighter and just go through the whole night, work on the project, and then get ready for work and just go teach. Um, those are some rough days, but uh, I was able to do it, you know? Sometimes I still do it um, just because there's just not enough time sometimes, you know? And I try to take advantage of my free time as much as possible, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I want to go see a movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. You got to have a social life. Yeah. It's oh. not... It's, it sucks to not have a social life. I've locked myself away and worked for yeah. years. And finally this year, I've been like, dude, you got to get out and do stuff with people. It's not worth more. it. You know? uh, I do feel like sometimes maybe it's a, it, it is just kind of a part of the process of putting time in and, and putting in your dues almost a little bit. You know, I, yeah. like, I wonder, cause I, just cause I feel like it's such a common story with people yeah. that I'm going like, ah, maybe that's just part of the journey. I mean, everything is a part of the journey, you know? I think that's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought about it like that. (laughs) And I think our generation in particular is very obsessed with work-life balance. I really don't think that's a actual thing that happens. Um, I think that balance is constantly sought after. It will probably never be attained. And I think I'm okay with that. There's going to be times in my life where I am pulling all-nighters. There's times where I'm going to have 10 projects going at once. And I love that stuff. There's also going to be times, and there has been times, where no one's emailing me. No one's calling me. I got nothing going on. And I'm literally like standing in my kitchen wondering what I'm going to eat. And I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to do anything. And I waste an entire night. Like, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Because the idea of I'm going to balance my life with work, like, what is that? It's essentially saying, like, everything's going to be perfect one time. Someday everything's going to be just how I want it. Yeah. And I think to fantasize about that is letting, setting yourself up for disappointment. At some point, you're going to have some great life moments with people you love. And at another point, you're going to have to tell them that you can't come home for Christmas. I don't know. Like just accepting it all as gracefully as you can. I think that's where the balance comes into play is your perspective on things. You know? Yeah. Uh, so then how many times a week, like if you were, if like say that you're, you like standard day was get up in the morning, go to the gym, go to work, mm-hmm. come back, take a break, do design stuff, go to bed. Is that like every day of the week basically? Or is, uh, or how no. many do you take? Like I'm resting today or I don't work on Saturdays or do you have any sort of. I usually use Sunday. Sunday for me is usually a, a no expectations day type of thing. Um, but having the full-time job, it kind of does have to turn into a work day. You know, uh, there are times where I'll use one day in the week And I'll just tell myself, okay, when you get home today, you're not going to work on a project. You're not going to even sit at the computer. You're not going to open the project as if you're going to work on it. (laughs) And then not. You're going to go home. You're going to watch a show. And that's it. And you're going to go to bed. No expectations. So I kind of pick and choose. I think I need to get better at my routine, my weekly routine. Um, 
doing that during the school year can be a little difficult, but uh, I usually like to use Sunday as like a, you know, we're just going to relax, maybe do some laundry, you know, mm-hmm. and just read a book. So I think because I like to use the rest of my week as like a go, 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 um, back to back, burn the candle at both ends that I, I, I like to have that full day of nothing. What happens when you don't do that? Or how long can you go without doing that? Do you know? Like, I burned myself out for years where yeah. I was just like, go, 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 go. And then finally I was like, oh, yeah. it's not sustainable. I can go a long time, but the problem is that it's not that I crash and burn. It's that I get really complacent mm. and my work suffers. Mm-hmm. So I'm technically busy, quote unquote. I'm technically doing projects. But I'm not doing them very well. They're like, they said that like, oh yeah, I do all the projects. They're all at 70%. Exactly. Right. And it's sometimes it'll take me a minute to realize, realize that that is going on because I'm busy. Yeah. I'm doing stuff. I'm a freelancer. I'm an artist. I'm always, always working. And it takes some realization. It takes some, um, just self-admission of like, Hey, this project is really sucking right now. And you know it. You need to either finish it out or pause it or do whatever you can to take a break and not have it, anything on your plate. Um, that way I can come back fresh. I can tackle something. So instead of letting something go on for three months, I can try to get it done with, within a month. Um, that's been, that's usually my wake up call is when I've realized a project has taken longer than it should. Like, oh, okay. So you're, you're done right now. You need to stop. So that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. What, uh, is there anything else that I haven't like brought up or asked you about that you think we ought to hit on? People uh, should know about you. I guess. I don't know. I, I think right now, like I said, you're, you're kind of talking to me right now at an interesting point <laughs> where I'm reassessing who I am as a designer I'm trying to, so, so a big part of who I am is very withholding. I'm very reserved. Um, and what I've realized is that's not going to really get me anywhere. It's not going to get me to where I want to go. So a part of my, I guess you can say rebrand is transparency, um, about who I am. So I'm trying to integrate a bit more of who I am, what I think about, um, what I feel into my brand. Um, if you follow my Instagram, you might've seen this start this past January. So this whole year I've kind of done this experiment where for my Instagram, I'm doing more of like a blog type of thing. Um, right now I'm not really caring too much about the constant posting or, you know, posting at on Wednesday at 11 PM or 11 AM. I think it is like the high, highest point of interaction. Like I don't really care about that right now. Um, I'm trying to show and talk about things that are true to me, things that are dear to me. Um, my thoughts about art, design, philosophy, life, spirituality. Um, I'm essentially trying to see where that'll take me. And it's really honestly right now, it's kind of like for myself. Um, and I don't know if I'll continue that next year, but I'm going to see it through to the, the end of this year basically see what happens that's cool so, man yeah 
Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and yeah. hear your story. So, uh, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, my Instagram is Aaron Garcia studio. That's a, a not E R. Okay. Um, I primarily use Instagram right now. Uh, I've kind of decided to just cut everything else off and just focus on Instagram. Um, so that's primarily what I put my, my work on, uh, Aaron Garcia studio. My website is the same AaronGarciaStudio.com. Um, that should be revamped and ready to go soon. This so. will probably be by the time this comes out, it'll probably be six months from now. Oh, well. So I hope that you're able to get it. <laughs> I would if hope not, it's already If not, out. I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, it should be out. Dang, that's a long time. It if it's a- not, you know what? Don't air this. Right. If it's not out by well, six months. Well, we had an episode for you all coming up this week, but the website's not ready, so yeah, we're scrapping it. Six months ago, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. We'll have uh, links to Aaron's work and the show notes. You can find them at vacacy.com slash freelance Friday or wherever you find this podcast. And while you're there, uh, be really helpful for me and for the other people that listen to this show. If you would leave a rating and a review, wherever you find this podcast, it really helps us to kind of understand, uh, how the listeners are engaging with the stuff that we're talking about. And if it's helpful for them, or if there's anything that we should be talking about that we're not, uh, because really ultimately the show is about you, the freelancers, and helping you in your journey. Thanks so much for listening and be you the next time. Freelance Freddy is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. Vacacy, big production value, freelance agility and scale.